Purdue bounces back. Indiana is still no good and we'll get an update on recruiting on the football field. You are locked on Big Ten. Your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Locked On Big Ten. I'm your host, Nate Dickinson. Coming up on today's program, later on we're going to talk to John Garcia Jr. He's our recruiting expert when it comes to the football side of things. We'll get into John's head about some of the latest commitments to the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the 2023 class, while also looking at some of the early commitments in 2024. That's coming up in just a minute here with John. Before we get into that, though, we're going to recap some of the basketball that we had yesterday in the Big Ten. Indiana loses. IU falling to Iowa. Meanwhile, Ohio State almost pulls off a second straight loss for Purdue. Instead, the Buckeyes fall just short, and it ends up being a two-point Boilermaker win. We're going to recap all that here as we start things off on Locked On Big Ten. Before we do any of that, though, A reminder that Locked On Big Ten is your place to go for everything you need to know about the Big Ten Conference every single day. We've got all of your needs covered here, all the news and everything that's happening off the court. Of course, great analysis and recaps of everything that's happening on the court or the field, too, when we're in football season. You can get it all here at Locked On Big Ten. Be sure to follow along wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube and on Twitter, too. It's Locked On Big Ten, one zero at the end when you're typing it, not T-E-N. All right, so let's dive into this basketball from yesterday. I want to start with the still, for now, number one Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue loses earlier this week, then suffers a scare early against this Ohio State team, falls down in a big hole early, has to fight its way back, but Purdue gets the win and is still just one loss on the season after beating a 24th-ranked Buckeyes team that I think is going to be going up even further in the rankings after the performance they put up in this matchup against the Boilermakers. But let's dive into exactly what that was. Uh, In this game, early on, Ohio State just getting good buckets, running good offense. I I can't really fault Purdue all that much for what it was doing. Some of it was just Ohio State running good plays, getting good looks, making good passes. But there was a little bit of a too easy down low kind of feel to it in the shots that Ohio State was getting off there. They were driving to the basket and doing a good job of it. Uh, Bryce Sensabaugh, I'll talk more about later on. He was a monster throughout this entire game. Purdue did not have an answer for him. And because of that, Ohio State jumped out to an early lead in this game. Now give Purdue the credit. They got back into this thing even by halftime and were really fighting throughout all of the second half with the Buckeyes team that seemed ready to go with them any day of the week. This was not just a team in Ohio State that had a good game against Purdue. This looked like a team that was ready to face off and beat Purdue any time it played them. Purdue, of course, wins this one, but Ohio State really, really good at points in this game. I can't give enough credit to what Ohio State ended up doing in this matchup. Uh, One thing that I was a little bit concerned about was Zach Eady. He, in the first half, I thought a few different times. I don't know what it was Ohio State was doing around him, but he would get the ball, whether it be in the low post or maybe even a couple feet out more often so, and he would just kind of hold it above his head a little bit too long for me. And when you're playing down there and doing what he's doing and doing it at the level that he's doing it at, you just got to be a little bit quicker. 
And I don't know if Matt Painter said something to him at halftime, but it seemed to fix itself right out of the half because Edie worked a really quick offense. Uh, I think it was a nice pass he had on a back cut off of a pass inside to him when he drew the double team, or maybe it was a kick out to a three on like the first play of the second half and throughout the entire half. You could see he was just flowing a little bit better, and Purdue, as a result, was able to utilize his effectiveness a little bit more, at least in what I was seeing out there. Uh, Back to Bryce Sensabaugh. I mean, I'm talking a lot about Purdue here. But Ohio State has itself a star in this guy. I don't want to say it was a coming out party for him because he's already won freshman of the week multiple times and it would be a discredit to what he's already done throughout the entire season to say that just this one game was the coming out party. But this may be the peak of what his coming out party is here after going through the start of this season, getting these accolades against the number one team, coming out and doing it and showing it sometimes in a dominant fashion in which he did. Bryce Sensabaugh is a game changer. Kind of guy where if you have a good team, like Ohio State does, if he can identify that kind of superstar potential, which Ohio State's identifying right now, you've got yourself an opportunity to get a player who can be a Johnny Davis, be a Keegan Murray, be a kind of guy who takes what was a good team and propel them up to Big Ten championship level. Something that a couple other Big Ten teams are really on the hunt for right now, trying to figure out who on that roster is going to be that guy, and especially in the backcourt too. But right now, Bryce Sensible, he's that guy. Ohio State knows it, has probably known it for a while, but if you're a Big Ten fan and you watch the biggest of games, you may not have known it had you not seen Ohio State really big up until that point. And that's what I'm saying. I did not see a whole lot of Ohio State early in the season. I was really impressed with what I saw from Bryce Sensabaugh. He impressed me to a new level with what he was able to do against a really good Purdue team on the big stage in front of that home crowd in Columbus. Elsewhere, it was a big game in which by the end, I think Purdue deserved to win it. Now, when they got back into things at the end of the first half, I was like, man, Purdue may just end up winning this game because they're quite a bit better than Ohio State, which I'm not sure I even believe, but the scoreboard was saying that they were in it despite not playing so great. So I thought, hey, man, they might just pull this one out and be lucky. By the time they got to the end of it, they figured things out. They learned from mistakes. Purdue got to the point where they deserved to win this game and do win this game by two points over Ohio State. One final note on this game. This was the first game for me, just watching and sitting down front to back, where I was sitting there and the entire time just getting really fired up, really ready to go, and thinking, this is the Big Ten basketball. This is the Big Ten basketball that we're waiting for. I mean, I remember it was uh, at the one of the last plays in the game. Oh, no, 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 it was at the very end of the game, when Purdue had pretty much won. There were just hugs all around from the Purdue sideline and bench. I mean, this was the team that had come in expecting to win this game, even if Ohio State was favored. Purdue was expecting to, of course, come back and get this bounce-back win. And for them to not only get it, but get it in the way that they did, in the way that both teams fought, this was the game that got me ready and pumped up. I'm like, all right, you know what? Football season's over. It's basketball season. Let's go. That was it for me. Now I'm fully ready and fully ready to get into all basketball mode here on the show and also just in sitting down and getting pumped up to watch games myself a good game between purdue and ohio state really good game as well between indiana and iowa in the late game there uh i have less as far as actual basketball like insight on what i thought about what teams were doing in this game and more just to talk about with what indiana's up to 
because the Hoosiers continue to not look like the team that we know that they are. Indiana's good enough to win basketball games. Indiana's good enough to win the Big Ten. But they fall here to Iowa. They're still going to be ranked. But this Indiana team just has not looked like it's ready to win in the Big Ten. And if you're a Hoosier fan, it's scary, considering the way that this team got beat up in conference play in a way last season. You don't want to have a repeat of that this year, and it's looking like there are signs of that happening again early on in this season. Uh, early on in the game, Indiana looked the best it has all season. At one point, the score was 28-7, to I think it was. Hoosiers just built up a huge lead. Offense was hitting everything. Defense was getting turnovers, turning those turnovers into really quick buckets on the other end. Everything was looking smooth, clicking, and moving quickly for Mike Woodson and his team. And it allowed them to be the dominant team for the first 10 minutes of this game that we had expected Indiana to be at some points in this season. Then in the next 20 minutes, not even combined, the last 10 minutes of the first half and the first 8-9 minutes of the second, Iowa was just a better basketball team. That's my biggest takeaway as a whole, is that while Indiana was dominant in that first 10 minutes, Iowa was the better basketball team for the vast majority of game time in this game. And that's the thing that plagues Indiana, is that they have the flashes where they are elite. Near perfect they were at the start of this basketball game against Iowa. But then they cool down, and then they fall back to earth, and then slowly but surely over time, what's really concerning is that over the course of a long basketball game, it doesn't seem like Indiana is the better basketball team playing against Iowa last night. And I don't know exactly what the answer is. And we've talked about what does Indiana have to do here because we know the talent is there. And we'll talk more about it with Jacob Rood at some point soon. But as it stands right now, I'm not impressed with Indiana. And... They're sliding at least in the AP rankings a little bit now. They're going to slide more. Joe Lenardi is not giving them as much respect as they had before once in the bracketology. We'll get to that at some point later on here. It's all kind of pointing more toward it's going to be another beat-em-up season for Indiana instead of one of these ones, to be quite honest, like their rival Purdue is having. Indiana wants to have that kind of a year this year. And it has not shown any signs of being that. Number 15 in the country is good. But the expectations were higher for Indiana as far as what it would do in the Big Ten and how dominant it would appear in this season. We were expecting the Hoosiers to be the best team in this conference. Right now, I don't know if you could argue that they're even second best at the moment with what Ohio State put up yesterday against Purdue and what some other teams are doing as well. You could rank them even lower than third, fourth, fifth whatever you choose. But at the moment, their number 15 ranking in the AP polls does not really, uh, I guess, mirror what I think of the Indiana Hoosiers. So Indiana loses in that game after a really, really rough finish. Indiana was up by like six with three and a half minutes left, even two. They just couldn't finish the job. And I mean, we could talk about the last final sequence of plays back and forth that happened there as much as you want. It was a great sequence of It was a great ending to both games, but when you look at the big picture overall going forward, I think there's really only one team out of the four we've talked about that you feel are really, really in trouble, and it's the Indiana Hoosiers right now. Can't be too unhappy with what Ohio State did yesterday. Can't be too unhappy with what Purdue did yesterday. Can't be too unhappy with what Iowa did yesterday, obviously. 
But blowing that lead if you're Indiana, especially with how good you started, that's a sign of, well, another one of those years for Indiana basketball that have become far too familiar for the fans in Bloomington. After this, we're going to come and talk to John Garcia Jr. He's going to give us some recruiting insight as Indi- or Indiana Big Ten football is back on the recruiting trail as the offseason gets started. We'll take a look at some of the latest commits for both the 2023 and 2024 classes with John here in just a minute. But before we do that, a reminder that Bet Online is the place to go for any of your online sports gambling needs. Whether you want to bet on some Big Ten basketball going on this weekend, the College Football National Championship, of course, is on Monday, your last chance to bet on college football this season, or NFL playoffs coming up. The NBA is getting into full swing as well as the NHL. It's one of the best sports times of the year, which means it's one of the best sports betting times of the year, too. With a lot of information to keep up with, Go get all of it at the same place. Don't go from one to another to another trying to keep track of everything. Find it all in one spot at Bet Online, where the game starts. Listening into Locked On Big Ten alongside John Garcia Jr., our expert here on everything you need to know in the recruiting world on the football side. I'm Nate Dickinson. John is always brought to us in part by LinkedIn Jobs. If you want to find the next great candidate for your open position, just like teams are looking for their next great players, you can do it over at LinkedIn Jobs. Head on over to linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. John, thanks for as always for coming on. We've had since the last time we talked, some big recruits make their decisions made, uh, known in both the 2023 and 2024 classes. I want to start off with the Under Armour All-American game. Where Nebraska got a couple of big names, we'll start with four-star recruit Cameron Lenhart. Uh, what do we know about who this guy is as a football player outside of what you may have seen if you were watching him actually make his commitment and play? <laughs> look, this is a big-time pass rusher. I, I think when you when you look at his trajectory, you know he's a kid from New York, so naturally early on in his high school years, not the most you know highly tracked and coveted recruit. Well, but he hit a huge growth spurt going into his junior year and, and got on the radar of IMG Academy. And obviously, once you make that move, it, it all kind of comes downhill from that regard. So he, he had his run, uh, I believe, in the summer months uh, where he committed to Nebraska. Obviously, since that point, a lot has changed there with the Cornhuskers. So he decommitted through that coaching change and opened it up to really some Big Ten suitors. Penn State was involved. Maryland got an official visit. Uh, so this was going to be a Big Ten r- recruitment at the end. But then Nebraska grabs, uh, I believe, the second to last official visit with the new staff under Matt Rule. And really from that point, the sense was he's probably going to jump right back into this class. So I think that's a, a huge uh, indication on what we should expect defensively from Matt Rule in particular uh, at, at the helm there at Nebraska. But as a pass rusher, yeah, just a legitimate edge prospect. He's, he's worked with his hand in the dirt. He's worked from a stand-up perspective, really strong first step, uh, and he's very strong pound for pound. He's not the biggest guy. I'm not sure what he was listed at um, during Under Armour week, probably 6'3", 240 or so, but he plays bigger. At the point of contact, uh, he he has strong lower body power uh, and can really work through uh, some of these bigger blockers uh, who are trying to extend upon him. So I think he's got the tools, Nate, to become a complete pass rusher in that you can threaten to win with speed on the outside and just beat the blocker there. But he's also got the strength and body to work underneath and develop some of those counter moves to sort of complete that skill set and obviously set the edge versus the run. So I really like this pickup. I think this is a high floor 
also high ceiling candidate, legitimate blue chip recruit who now has proved it against competition at IMG and throughout Under Armour week where he more than held his own. So this is a really banner get for the Cornhuskers on the defensive side of the ball, which is probably some of what we expected when Rule took that job. And Nebraska wasn't done even just in that day. Ethan Nation commits to the Cornhuskers as well. He's only a um, three-star recruit on the composite rankings, but his offer list is really impressive. You've got Bama there. You've got Georgia there. What is it that everyone likes about this guy? Look, this is the opposite from a recruiting standpoint that Cam went through. This is a kid coming up in Atlanta, great cover corner, who as an eighth and ninth grader, had similar size to, to what he presents today. So I think that's why so many schools early on were kind of all in on Ethan Nation. I remember like in 2020, he started getting FBS and, and Power 5 offers. So three years later, he commits finally to Nebraska. Um, and, and look, he had a great career at Roswell High School, great week at Under Armour. One of the DB coaches told me outside of Desmond Ricks and Cormani McLean, who were kind of the headliners there, it was Nation who was probably the most consistent cornerback in attendance. And that's really where he makes his mark. He's not the biggest cat in the world, but the coverage ability, the technique, the speed, the, com the competition uh, level at the point of contact is all there for him. Confident, smaller corner that I think is going to be able to work some nickel and some boundary corner, depending on, on how that scheme unfolds there in Lincoln. But you always need guys who can cover in space. And that's really where, where nation makes his theoretical money. Uh, I envision him covering slot receivers, maybe running backs early in his prep career. Cause you know, these offenses are widening out in the big 10. I mean, just look at, look at the semifinal and, and the scores that these big 10 offenses put up. You need defensive backs who could combat these three and four wide receiver sets and contend with the slot receiver that's got that two-way go that's so darn hard to slow down so I think Nation will help bridge that gap uh, for Nebraska here going forward so a, a huge name a few years ago in recruiting who kind of never went away and had a little resurgence at the end of, of his process again another one who like Cam took that visit after Rule got the job and, and that was kind of all she wrote from a recruiting standpoint so another nice get defensively for that staff. Matt Rule busy early as he gets players who are going to be ready for him in his first season there at Nebraska. John Garcia Jr. with us to talk some more on recruiting here as we move on and look at the 2024 class. Team starting to put those classes together. One of the big names that happened a couple of weeks ago committing, Jalen Thompson, a Michigan State now commit four-star guy. How did this recruitment go down and how did Mel Tucker end up landing him? Yeah, this was one, look, regional kid, local kid. This was one that you kind of envisioned always working in, in the ballpark of, of Michigan State. So to win so early, by the way, after signing another Jalen Thompson in 2023, which sort of confused me a little bit, uh, that was really uh, <laughs> advantageous from a timing perspective because when you look at these teams turning the page, a lot of them are still trying to fill holes in 23, right? There's another signing day coming up in February. Obviously, the portal is crazy, and we know Michigan State is, is always a player in that regard. So to land someone in 24 in the meantime that has cachet, that has a name like this, I thought was pretty big. Uh, there were some Michigan State vibes for, for a while here in this recruitment. Um, but look, that's commonplace with, with younger recruits. It's a different ball game when you can land them early in the recruiting cycle, especially when it's it's a prospect like this that has really 
a wide array of, of Big Ten options and beyond. Uh, so I do think it's, it's a heck of a Kickstarter for, um, for regional recruiting and, and for name recognition, which is always important when you're trying to set that foundation and build out your, your any recruiting class in any cycle. And then finally, John, here is we look still at the 2024 class. Wisconsin got one a little while back, too. Both these commits were around Christmas. Thompson and then Mabry Tower, too. This guy going to the Bachelors and obviously a new head coach coming in as well with that situation and everything. Uh, how exactly did his commitment get sorted out? Well, look, this is all about Phil Longo, right? Uh, I, I think – when you talk about Wisconsin and Luke Fickle, a lot of excitement, everyone expected their recruiting ceiling to elevate, but really the hire of Longo as the offensive coordinator from North Carolina has really coupled about perfectly uh, for Fickle and company. Not only did you grab Marbury in 24, you locked in your 23 quarterback and Cole LaCrue who had been committed, but you know, new coaching staff, that's always a bit of a worry. And then obviously the portal has been very generous to Wisconsin from a quarterbacking perspective, landing Nick Evers from Oklahoma and of course, Tanner Mordecai from SMU. So they've flipped fickle and Longo have flipped the entire quarterback room in about four weeks, which is really unheard of with a coaching staff under transition and even securing a 24 quarterback recruit, as you mentioned, uh, just as big, right? He was a North Carolina target. He had visited out there and built that relationship with Longo. And he also happened to visit Madison during the season, I believe for a September game last year. And he really liked it. So you combine those two pitches. Hey, you've been to Madison. You see what a game day is like, but you also know Phil Longo and what this offense is going to theoretically look like. And it was really the perfect match for, for Marbury who wanted to kind of claim his spot. You know, this is a 2024 QB cycle that is rolling very quickly. A lot of these top quarterbacks among the juniors have started to come off the board. We're into the double digits now among the very best having made decisions. So there was an urgency in that regard. So the combination, again, of Longo and having been up to Madison was really hard uh, to pass up for Marbury, who fits incredibly well. Big physical quarterback with a huge arm, but he's got this athleticism on top of it to where you can keep a defense honest and call plays for him as a runner, much like we see under Longo at North Carolina with Drake May and previously with Sam Howell. So this is a really nice fit uh, for the Badgers. And, and look, that, that quarterback room is totally different uh, from all the perception we've had around Wisconsin for several years offensively, it feels like. And that was really the foundational goal, in my opinion, for, for Luke Fickle once he got that job. Let's flip that script as much as possible while maintaining kind of that defensive identity uh, and trench identity that Wisconsin has become famous for. So putting all that together has a lot of Badgers fans excited, and it really does start at the quarterback position in, in every sense, the transfer portal, 23 with LaCrue, and now 24 with Matier. Fans to start getting excited about what could be building there under that new coaching staff. Recruiting never stops, which means that at some point we'll have John Garcia Jr. back on here again to talk with us some more. Until then, thank you again, John, for coming on to join us. Thanks again to LinkedIn Jobs for letting us get John here on the program. We'll talk to you again soon. I know it. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to John Garcia Jr. for joining us here on the program. We'll finish up in just a second here on Locked On Big Ten. But first, it's the new year, which means that you may be trying to be a little bit healthier this year. Well, if you want to get the energy that you need to get yourself through the day with a great taste that fills you up without counting up the calories or carbs, you can go to Built Bar. 
It's been a partner with the Locked On Podcast Network for a long, long time now, and for good reason. Not only because they're the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but because us at the Podcast Network love them. Hosts get their free samples of Built Bars so we can tell you how much we like this stuff, and it is legit when we tell you that this is one of, if not the most liked product that we have here telling you about on Locked On Podcast Network. People can't get enough of these things. They come out with new flavors all the time, so it never gets old if you're sticking with Built Bar. You can get some of the new flavors they have out right now. I'm talking churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, all sorts of new flavors coming out all the time. And you're getting all of this flavor packed into less than 150 calories, less than 5 net grams of sugars and carbs, all in a great tasting bar that looks and tastes like a candy bar. You can see what I'm talking about and try out Built Bar yourself. If you head on over to their website, built.com, it's Built Bar, the place to go to make sure that you're sticking to those resolutions as we start the new year. Let's wrap things up here on Locked On Big Ten. A couple of news stories to get to you up in the state of Michigan as we finish up our program today. Of course, a lot of rumors going on around John Har- or John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. John Harbaugh probably hearing some of it too. Jim Harbaugh, though, is the one who's making the headlines. Of course, speculation in this offseason after what we saw last offseason about if he may go to the NFL. Well, he reiterated yesterday that he will be staying or intends to, I should say, be staying with Michigan. He did not go as far to say, hey, I will be here next fall. But he says that as of right now, the intention is for him to be in Ann Arbor again. There were reports that he had talked with the Carolina Panthers about their head head coach opening earlier this week. Also, Michigan under investigation, and Jim Harbaugh in particular, for violations during the COVID-19 dead period. Included in those violations, allegations of Harbaugh not cooperating with or misleading investigators, a level one violation. I don't know exactly what that would mean if those violations were punished. In other news, Michigan State's Kari Crump has his felony charge dropped in the case of the Michigan and Michigan State tunnel incident. Crump was one of the major offenders in the videos that came out after the Michigan win over Michigan State. He had a felony charge to his name. That has been dropped. He pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges Thursday. And finally, Movement in Big Ten football again. Kirk Shiraka is leaving Minnesota. This time he'll stay in the Big Ten to head over to Rutgers. Shiraka, once the offensive coordinator at Minnesota, then left, then came back again, now leaving again, this time to join the Scarlet Knights. So not sure what the deal is with that situation, but we may have to talk with Kane Robb about that one at some point, about what exactly is the deal with Shiraka in leaving the Gophers. That's about it for Locked On Big Ten here today. I'm Nate Dickinson. We will be back next time with a look at some of those accusations from Kevin Willard. Remember, he had some weird, mean things to say about the Big Ten scheduling. I say weird because I didn't think there was much substance behind him. But now I actually looked into it and broke down the numbers. Is it true that the teams that people think are going to do better get the better timed out schedules in the Big Ten? Well, break down all of that next time here on the show. And also, before you leave, be sure to follow along wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube and on Twitter, at LockedOnBig10. One zero at the end when you're typing it out, not T-E-N. I'm at Nate with Sports on Twitter. Be sure to give me a follow, too. And once you're done listening in here, 
Go over and listen to Locked On College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back again next time here on Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the Big Ten Conference every single day. Until then, Nate Dickinson with Locked On.